Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. It is my pleasure and honor to be able to introduce our special guest speaker this morning. Tony Burrell um, is a friend of Liberty Bible Churches. We have known Tony for a number of years. Um, He grew up here in Northwest Indiana and after attending Indiana University, served for a number of years with crew in Eastern Europe as a missionary. And upon returning back to the States, he felt the Lord's call to begin uh, an organization called the Welcome Network. And this organization here in Northwest Indiana helps support with services and resettlement aid for immigrants, asylum seekers, and refugees. And so we are so delighted that Tony is here this morning First of all, because of our relationship with the network as our Thanksgiving offering partner, but also um, because we love Tony and he's a dear friend of this church. So I just want to ask you to welcome Tony Burrell to us uh, this morning. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, First, I bring you greetings from Mercy Hill Church in Munster. That's the church that I attend just about 30 minutes from here. I'm very happy to be with you all this morning. I'm going to begin by being a bit vulnerable. I'll start by sharing a small secret. My plan for my life was not this thing called the Welcome Network. Um, Nine years ago, I was working as a missionary overseas. Eight years ago, my life was going through significant challenge. And seven years ago, the Welcome Network was born. God sees what we cannot see. Uh, My story, other people's stories, the stories of those who say, this isn't what I thought I'd be doing with my life, these are reflected in one of the most significant moments of church history, and I want to look at that this morning. In Acts chapter 10, that's where we're going to be focused, and in Acts chapter 10, we find Peter taking probably a well-deserved long weekend at his friend's house at the beach. Peter has chosen to follow Jesus and to preach the gospel to Jews around Israel and to take the message of the Messiah to his people. Jesus told Peter, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And Peter has been a bit busy since that commissioning. I'm not going to read the text out loud because the story runs through a chapter and a half of the book of Acts. But you may remember it. Peter's on the rooftop praying on a brief missionary retreat, as I mentioned, his goal may be find a quiet spot, maybe rest, reflect, recharge a little bit. Peter gets hungry, but the retreat center doesn't have the food ready yet. So he calls Uber Eats and he orders some food from Octave Grill or Evie's Bohemia. No, he doesn't do that. He continues his little retreat, but he falls asleep while he's waiting for dinner. And here, at this point, Peter's retreat, and actually Peter's life, gets interrupted and rerouted. And it starts with a daydream, with a vision. In the vision, Peter sees a white sheet coming down from the sky, and there are all sorts of animals on it that, as a Jewish person, Peter knows not to eat. 
Now, there are some much more reverent classic pieces of art that show this scene uh, in, in much classier ways. But I like this one. It gets the point across. There are lobsters and pork, and even if, if you had it up close, you'd even see the Oscar Mayer wienermobiles in there. And I'm not sh sure why Peter looks a bit like Kramer from Seid Seinfeld, but... <laughs> anyway, a voice tells Peter to kill and eat these animals. And despite his hunger, Peter reacts in disgust. Of course not, God. These animals are not for Jews to eat. I, I follow you. I obey you. I'm part of your special people. But the voice comes again and tells Peter, what God has made clean do not call common. And the thing happens a third time. Uh, maybe a form of loving chastising that Peter probably remembers from how many times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. And then the story zooms out beyond Peter's little rooftop retreat and we get an idea that there's something bigger that God is doing. Because at the same time, God has sent a message through an angel to Cornelius, a good non-Christian man. Now, first of all, Bethel folks, brothers and sisters, can we even accept that term, a good non-Christian man? The world wants us to see enemies in other people. Uh, God wants us to see other people with love. The world wants to define evil as the other or the stranger. But God wants us to take a message to lost and loving, God-fearing people. The world wants enemies that we can see and defeat. But God shows us strangers who are themselves being tormented by the same real enemies that we have. And the world wants us to see non-Christians as something to fear. But God wants us to see non-Christians as someone to embrace and love into the kingdom. And so this Roman soldier, Cornelius, this God-fearing, not-yet-Christian man, he's being pursued. He's being pursued by God. The angel tells Cornelius who Peter is, what he's doing, where he is, and Cornelius, as a true leader, sends for him. And the short story is that this is the very first moment when the early church understands that this message of salvation the message of love and purpose and freedom in redemption through Jesus Christ, it's for everyone. It's not just for Jewish people. It's not just for the people of God. It's even for outsiders. Peter, and, and also Paul, in his story even more dramatically, had to face their prejudices of the outside world in order to become missionaries to the nations. They also had to face their own incorrect theologies and missiologies, as they received revelation from God that corrected their xenophobia and their misplaced nationalism. And so Cornelius and his people and his family believe. It's a spirit-filled, undeniable moment. Peter was just trying to get some rest before his next synagogue stop, maybe. Instead, he finds himself in the middle of changing history. And by the way, who is Cornelius? He's an immigrant soldier leading, occupying enemy troops. One of my favorite stories of Scripture, the moment when the gospel goes from this little strip along the Mediterranean to the Big Bang of the Great Commission, and it begins with an immigrant soldier. As the vision goes away and Peter pulls out of his trance, Acts 10.17 says, Now Peter was doubting in himself what this vision he saw should mean. Uh, another version says he was inwardly 
perplexed. Yes, Peter, I'm with you. I've been there. Maybe you've been there too. Inwardly perplexed at what God is asking of us, especially when it conflicts with our culture and the culture around us. As a church, some years we care about refugees. Some years we don't. Uh, Sometimes we're focused on the world, and then for entire centuries it seems that we go inward and the missional efforts die down. Uh, Peter was on vacation having a quiet time on the roof, but his, uh, God's timeline for him was it's time to change history a little bit today. And di- diversions are messy, guys. Uh, uncomfortable, humbling, and I'll say messy again. It's, and it's not always a, a white sheet coming down that changes our plans. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes it's the sin of the world. Sometimes it's the brokenness around us. And that's such a huge part of working with immigrants and refugees. It's sin and war and violence and drug cartels and profiteers, politics and greed, evil men's and even plans of the enemy from the pit of hell that have driven so many people to flee their homes and their lives and and seek peace. And it's also a huge part of working with immigrants and refugees because this work interrupts us. When someone we're serving doesn't have a car to get around and their child gets sick and you just sat down after dinner to watch the game or read a book, it might not be go tell a Roman soldier about the gospel, but it might be go love a Congolese friend by taking their child to urgent care or go pick up our Afghan arrival at midnight after his plane has been delayed for many hours or take some time from your agenda and make cookies for the new person on the street. When these nudgings come in the form of interruption or discomfort or sacrifice, God's giving an opportunity for us as the church uh, to, be, to love people into his kingdom. When I was a new Christian in 1994, 27 years ago, my mentors told me to start praying for the 1040 window. And I didn't know what that was, and I still can't explain the name all that well. It has to do with latitude and longitude. And um, one subject I did not love was geography. But it stands for that rectangle of the world with more than two billion people who haven't had a chance to hear the gospel. And we were all college students praying for this place called the 1040 window. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, how I thought it would happen, how most people praying thought it would happen, is that we'd be able to secretly send missionaries in and raise up secret churches there who could secretly worship the Lord. And that happened in some places. But instead, what God has been doing is much more uncomfortable. Or, what, or I will at least say what God has allowed to happen is, at le- is much more uncomfortable for us. Um, because let me tell you some of the countries in the 1040 window. I'll just read a list here. Afghanistan, China, Eritrea, India, Iran, Iraq, Palestine, Jordan, Laos, Lebanon, Burma, Nepal, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, Syria, Vietnam, and Yemen. If this list of countries seems familiar to you, it's basically a list of where most of the world's refugees have been coming over the last four decades. God is giving us an answer to our prayers about the 1040 window. It's just not a very comfortable answer for us in the West. Um, 
So we're being given an uncomfortable opportunity. The nations are here. The Great Commission is at our doorstep. And so I started down this road with the Welcome Network that has sometimes left me perplexed. And, um, you know, he often lowers that white sheet and throws our lives into chaos a little bit, doesn't he? So I'll share a few stories. The first thing I did when, uh, when I started the Welcome Network was to decode what immigrants in Chicago need uh, in Northwest Indiana. Our office is based in Hammond. And one thing that they need, which wasn't really being offered here in Northwest Indiana, was low-cost legal services. So it's really difficult for people to stay here legally. Even if they come legally, it's really difficult for them to stay here legally if they don't know the system, if they don't know how to file the paperwork, where to file the paperwork, who to talk to. So I took a bunch of classes and I got accredited to be able to practice immigration law. And my first client was the man uh, on the right with me. His name is Ramesh. He called and he asked me if I could help him become a citizen. Ramesh was an engineer back in India. His sister had a chance to come to the United States at some point in her life. And then she petitioned for Ramesh to be able to join her here. And he waited in, um, we hear about lines, like the proverbial lines, he waited 13 years for his quota number to come up. And so when he was 65 years old, he was finally able to come to the United States. He had gone through a divorce many years prior, so he came alone. He came, he got his green card, he began, wor he began working, but one year later, his sister passed away. Uh, and that same year, Ramesh developed a heart problem and he had to have surgery. Well, the nurse who helped Ramesh recover from surgery in the hospital. She was a Christian who gave him a Bible, a picture of Jesus, and she prayed for him. And I asked him why he called our office, and he said he found about our services from the internet. He saw we're a Christian organization, and she, he said since the nurse prayed for him and he got better, uh, Ramesh claims that Christians have been lucky for him. I've met Ramesh six times in my life. I met him when he came to my office that day. I met him when he dropped off some paperwork. I drove him to his test in Chicago because he was too nervous to go to the office by himself. I drove him to his oath ceremony where he became a U.S. citizen. And then since then, we've had two meals together at Denny's and at an Indian restaurant. And for me, from my mentality, maybe I would call that person a client or a work colleague or maybe an acquaintance. But Ramesh calls me his little brother. We've talked about the gospel. He's invited us. Uh, he, he has since moved from this area. He's a night motel desk clerk, even though he was an engineer in India. And his, his motel job took him down to Tennessee. So now he lives down there. He's invited us to come down there for vacation. And, um, you know, when we welcome the stranger, we, we regain a sense of our purpose and our kingdom belonging. A couple years ago, I was invited to a conference of Christians in North America who care about immigrants and refugees. And it was two days. My wife Jenny decided to come with. There was great worship. And I was kind of thinking like Peter, I'm going to have that rest, relaxing, rooftop experience. But God totally ruined that. And uh, it's because I met a woman named Jennifer Long. And Jennifer runs an immigrant homeless shelter down uh, near the Texas border. We started talking. She told me her shelter was full. No surprise there, right? We all know that the border is a crisis spot. I asked her where most of the people in her shelter were from, and her answer was like a white sheet for me because that was, it was very unexpected. She said most of them at the time, this was maybe three, four years ago now, most of them 
were from Congo. And I already told you I'm not great at geography. And so I asked her, Jennifer, I hate geography, but correct me if I'm wrong, Congo is not south of our border, right? And she confirmed this, and she <laughs> she's like, no, Congo's in Africa. And then she explained to me how Congolese people were ending up at the Texas border. And, and uh, that's a long story. I'll send you a 30-minute documentary if you want to watch and, and see what, what that's all about. But um, when people arrive at our border, if they can, if, a, if the first judge that talks with them, they're usually put in, in detention for a little bit if they don't have a visa, and then they have a meeting with a judge. And if the judge, if they can convince the judge that uh, they're afraid for their lives to return to their home country, then the judge will let them into the country uh, temporarily. So then, so families like these are allowed in, so they have legal status temporarily. Um, but their first taste of the United States is that border patrol agents will drop them off in a public park. They don't have work authorization, uh, and so organizations like Jennifer Long's will pick them up and give them shelter for a couple weeks or a couple months. And, uh, and the bureaucracy to get their work authorization can take a year or more. And they don't have rights to, uh, to enter into the welfare system or anything like that. So they're pretty much um, at the mercy of others. So she's talking to me about this. And at this point in the conversation, the Holy Spirit and Jennifer Long had, had now conspired to emotionally manipulate my heart. And I said the following words. As, I'm, as I was saying them, I was regretting them. And I said, you know, I know a Indiana is a long way from Texas, but how can we help? And some days I wish that instead I said that our prayers and our warm thoughts would be with you. Because <laughs> uh, within a week of meeting Jennifer, she was telling me about families that needed housing. So I'm going to play, uh, this short video is going to play, it's four minutes long. It just explains a little bit about that part of, what, of our ministry. Hi, I'm Steve and this is my wife Amy. We have three boys, Ian, Seth, and Norman and we have been members of Mercy Hill for about five years now. Well, I, I knew Tony from the Welcome Network and I was aware of what he was doing with the refugees and I, I really liked that. Um, we were around November, um, there was a family that had come here that we invited over and um, they were from the Congo. You know, after they were here, Amy and I started thinking about maybe, you know, maybe we could host a family. And so we, Amy was really up for it. Um, and I was a little more hesitant. And in around December, Tony contacted us and told us of a family that was a mom, dad, and a newborn baby that, was, that needed a place. And, um, so I called Amy and we were talking about it and by the time I got back to Tony, he had already found a home for them. And I remember at that time when that happened, my heart kind of sank. And I, I just kind of felt like, yeah, we, we need to do this. Then there was a second, a couple weeks later, um, Tony contacted me with a second family and I contacted Amy, told, we talked about it for a minute. And when I got back again, they had found somebody else to, to um, take care of them. 
So Amy told me the next time this happens, don't even call me, just say yeah. <laughs> So we were a host family to a family of three, a dad, mom, and uh, their five-year-old daughter. Um, they had come from the Congo, and for political reasons, they were afraid for their lives, so they needed to leave. Um, and their journey took about 13 months, and it was, they went to a neighboring country in Africa, and then from there, got to Cuba, and Cuba sent them down to Ecuador, uh, and then, you know, country by country, they journeyed up through South America and Central America until they arrived at the Texas border. So um, they contacted a welcome network, and Tony had said, yes, we have host families that are willing to, to have them come live with them. After they had been here about a week, we invited the first Congolese family over here because we thought, you know, have them meeting somebody, you know, that was from Congo, that would be helpful and it would let them feel at ease. So when they came in, I went and picked them up, and when they came in, the, the family came in, they, were, they had a husband, wife, and five kids. They came in, they were in the kitchen, and then our family came out. When they saw each other, all of a sudden, they start <laughs> screaming and, and like, and crying and, I asked the mom, I said, do you guys know each other? And she goes, yes. And she said to the father of the first family, she said, this man was like a father to me growing up. I've known him. And to me, that was like, that was a time when, when it's, I was like, well, God must be blessing this family because, I mean, there was, I don't know how many million of people are making this trip. And then these people go through that huge journey and they end up a couple miles from each other and they know each other and it was just like, it was amazing. It, it, that was amazing. Now that's about half of the interview with Steve and Amy. Um, you can find the second half of that interview somewhere on our website if you wanna watch the second half of that because they do talk about the hard parts of it all over the two months that they were hosting. But to sum up, six host families, and a couple years later, we've, we've received five Congolese families and a family from Central America, and we've helped them to gain some stability here, uh, take the next steps on their journey. Our church partners, it, these are a few of our, uh, the families that we're working with, our church partners in Lansing and M Munster have met them, they've come alongside them, they've made meals for them, uh, they've given grocery cards for them, they've, they've driven them to English classes, they've had meals together, uh, they've worshiped together as several of these Congolese families have gotten involved into local churches now. And, uh, and we're, we're inviting people to, con to consider more host families. Um, even had an email from Jennifer Long last night that there's two families that they don't have room for. But then Steve from this video had a crazy idea. What if the churches along the state line in Munster and Lansing uh, bought a home for some of these families where we could allow people to stay instead of two months in a host home, maybe 12 to 18 months, and really get on their feet, uh, get work authorization with the help of the Welcome Network, and rub shoulders with followers of Jesus, and experience the kingdom of God. And I tried to stop Steve's idea, uh, but I failed. And so in 2020, after six churches had been meeting together for like eight months, uh, this was in the middle of COVID, from when from a human perspective, uh, you would think that churches should have been playing things very carefully with their finances, 
Uh, instead, these six churches purchased a three-unit property in Lansing where we now have a program for asylum-seeking families. And so we've had this wraparound program where we can come alongside three families at a time. And we're about to kick the first family out because they've successfully gotten out on their feet now. So, uh, so then, yeah. Um, and so now we'll be able to bring another family in. And, and it's, you know, it's not even always about the success of that, but it's just about coming alongside them as the church and loving them. Because we know that not every outcome is going to be successful. Some of these families may actually um, be sent back home because they can't prove that their claims are real. But it's about coming alongside them and, and loving them and being, the God, being Christ to them. Uh, so... God knows what we're doing even when we don't know what we're doing. And, um, you know, one, one other example of that is when they came, they didn't even speak English. And I'm like, how are we going to communicate with these, with these Congolese people? Uh, and, and then God said, didn't you meet a guy from Congo last year? And, and I, was, I couldn't even remember. And, and then I remembered that I had met a guy from Congo in Crown Point whose first language happens to be Lingala, which is the exact language that that these newcomer families speak. And we weren't looking for Congolese families, but it's just how God lines these things up. And so we had a perfect person to be able to, to help with, um, with the translation and interpreting. So think about this. Families that maybe four months ago, especially with the, in the case of our Afghan families, four months ago they were halfway around the world, and now we get to be friends with him in Northwest Indiana in Chesterton. And they're even very close <laughs> in, some of, in some Liberty folks' homes at the moment. So um, we get to have meals with them. We get to eat birthday cake with them. We get to mourn with them. We get to celebrate with them. And imagine what happens when our children are exposed to this kingdom work. It, it changes their perspective. We make sure to take our kids when we go. They play with each other's hair. They play games with each other. They laugh together. Uh, even last night at church in Hammond, went all out and hosted a Thanksgiving meal for our small little ragtag group of asylum-seeking families. And in the evening when we got home, Jenny, my wife, observed what an enriching experience that was for our kids to be exposed to friendships with other cultures and, and to see as they grow older the joy and the blessing of being able to share our lives and hospitality and the gospel with newcomers. Um, very briefly, I'll just touch on a few other things we do with the next slide. Um, we, we, also take, uh, we also take region folks uh, in a partnership with Kids Alive Lebanon. We take them to Lebanon, and we haven't done it the last few years because of COVID, but uh, God uses those trips tremendously. Um, you can go to the next slide even. As we take those trips with open hands, one year my intern, Corey, uh, he's the one you can hopefully tell which one Corey is, but um, he came with us on a trip to Lebanon and now Corey lives in Lebanon and ministers full-time to, to uh, children through Kids Alive. So I lost an intern, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's exactly what God wanted to happen. And we also participate in refugee resettlement. Um, in fact, Liberty folks helped to settle a refugee family in 2017 into Valparaiso. Uh, we had Mohammed and Isra and their children, um, uh, Riyadh and Wael and... Um, forgetting the other, Sadiq, those five um, Liberty folks came alongside them and helped them with English, school enrollment, finding jobs, and they were invited to experience Jesus and the gospel and the kingdom as well. And this dear family, about a year after they moved into Velpo, they actually moved out to Detroit to be closer to a, an Iraqi uh, community there. 
Uh, I had a chance to visit them recently and they still mention their Liberty friends. Uh, Noor and her sister Maze were among the families that we resettled. They're from Syria. And, um, and you know, we had them, uh, we had similar churches in Crown Point helping Noor and her sister. And the second day they arrived, one of the things I'm supposed to do or one of my staff is supposed to do is uh, to ask them if they want to be connected to a place of worship. And we don't say church. We're supposed to say place of worship, so we say place of worship. Um, and she said, no, we're not religious people. So I said, okay. But a month later, she said something interesting. She said to me, remember when you asked if we wanted to be connected with a church and, and we told you no? Well, all, I didn't say church, by the way, but she <laughs> that's how she interpreted it. Uh, she said all the volunteers that had been spending time with them, getting them to their high school classes, getting them uh, through the different things that they have to get through, their medical appointments and everything. She said, they're all Christians and they're the best people we've met here in the United States so far. And we would enjoy getting connected more. Uh, so this is the heart of our ministry. We exist to kick the local church into kingdom gear. Um, you, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start wrapping up. Um, but you're like, you haven't even really mentioned Afghanistan yet. And that's what I think Liberty has been talking a lot about. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention Afghanistan. In August, as you probably know, the government of Afghanistan fell to the Taliban as, as our government withdrew from the country. Right, wrong, avoidable, unavoidable, I don't really know. Um, right and left can beat each other up. But as kingdom folks, we're called to play a different game uh, on a different plane. The world played, plays its game in uh, two dimensions, but we play the game. The kingdom is 3D. And so we, we just want to be above all of that, right? So all of a sudden, there's 54,000 Afghan evacuees on our military bases here in the United States since, since September. Here. Even Camp Atterbury in Indiana has several thousand. And there's about another 40 or 50,000 more Afghan evacuees being vetted and waiting at our military bases in Germany, Austria, Qatar, UAE. And, um, and winter's coming and the military wants their bases back. And our Afghan friends want to not freeze in their 700-person tents on those military bases. And they want to stop waiting in line for two hours for their next meal. So can you imagine a church opportunity here? Uh, so quite un unexpectedly, we have the opportunity to help resettle refugees again uh, after the, the refugee system in the States was basically shut down for the last five years or so. And so, so far through the Welcome Network, we've been able to receive 10 Afghans. Most of them have had U.S. ties, connections that they, they already have. So we've just kind of put them where, th where those connections are, in mostly in Illinois. Um, but, but we've also been involved with Abbas, and so uh, some of you may have met Abbas, who uh, has connections here at Liberty. He came with one backpack, and Liberty kicked into gear. He came with nowhere to stay. Liberty folks kicked into gear. We expect about 38 more arrivals over the next two months. And these folks don't have U.S. connections. Uh, this picture is my son, Elias. He, helped, he wanted to help welcome Abbas, so he made a card and had all his classmates sign it. And it was touching to see how it impacted Abbas. So there's change waiting to happen, brothers and sisters, with our name on it. We just have to say yes to going beyond our comfort zone. Yes to seeing the injustice that disturbs us as an invitation to create change. I'm going to close with this passage from 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter calls us a chosen people, royal and holy, and yet in the next breath he calls us sojourners. We're a people wandering. We are a people waiting for our kingdom to be more revealed than it is right now. And our role is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Given that context for who we are as a church, who should really find camaraderie with us? And with whom should we find solidarity? I would say other sojourners, other strangers, other wanderers, other refugees like us. How do we begin to regain that? I think we regain belonging by getting back to kingdom work. So four quick takeaways. One, just listen to moments where God is giving you little white sheet visions to knock you out of comfort, because he's going to give you some of those along the way. Two, look for weekly welcome ways to be welcoming. And I'm not even talking necessarily about immigrants, although you will have week weekly ways to be welcoming, I think, in the coming weeks. Um, but it could just be baking cookies for the new person on the street or going to a local park with extra snacks and water and seeing if there's a stranger there or somebody who you don't know. Uh, third, look for ways to get involved with local Great Commission efforts. The mission field's here. You could send us an email, ask us if we need help driving someone around. You could volunteer a day a week at our office. You could let Pastor Kevin know that you're willing to help. You can consider giving generously to gospel-driven welcoming ministries that are here. Um, and then finally, you could consider fostering or hosting someone in your home. I know that that is a big ask and it's not for everybody, but if you uh, are thinking about that, you could talk to some folks that are already doing it here at Liberty. Let me pray. Lord, as we enter a week of thanksgiving, thank you for not calling the church to a boring existence. Thank you for pushing us out of comfort zones. Thank you for the call to help fulfill the Great Commission. And thank you for the rich ways that you have provided for us. And thank you that you are calling us to share our lives with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony, for uh, sharing your heart with us this morning. The mission field is coming to America. It's here. And uh, we have a, an incredible opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission as well as the Great Commandment. And uh, I think that this is a time where the church can actually become the church, uh, reaching out to those uh, who are homeless, to those who are in need of uh, encouragement and hospitality 
And I'm just so thrilled for already the, the, the history of liberty in reaching out to those uh, that have need. And we want to encourage you to uh, follow up with Tony, whatever God has placed upon your heart. Uh, we want to encourage you to uh, continue to reach out. This is a, a glorious opportunity for every single one of us to fulfill the great commandment that's been given so many years ago, the great commission given so many years ago, we can fulfill it right here in this community for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today we're so excited that our new pastor is with us, and uh, this is an opportunity for us to pass the leadership baton to our new pastor. And, uh, but before I ask him to come, I'm going to ask all of the elders who have been part of uh, this wonderful journey that uh, we've been on together. Uh, I've been here now for almost 24 months. And uh, we have been here to work together with you to advance the kingdom of God. But I cannot do it without key leaders in the church. So please come on up. Come on, don't, don't uh, be hesitant. Just come on and come up here on the platform. I want them to come up on the platform. Uh, <clears throat> I... Uh, Uh, this, is, this is just a portion of the men who have been serving alongside with me uh, during this transition period. Uh, most of you know this has not been an easy transition, but God in his grace has brought us to a point where our church is poised for a whole brand new season of fruitfulness. And I want to thank every single one of you gentlemen for the way in which you have partnered with us to get us to this point. We could not have done it without you. These gentlemen deserve our prayers and our thanksgiving. Can we let them know how much we appreciate everything that they have done during this period of time. You guys have been absolutely the best. I was hoping to have our staff and express our appreciation to the staff, but our staff today is involved in ministry. We have a wonderful group of men and women, about 35 of them, who along with our elders have been absolutely strategic and essential in moving us to this point uh, where we can pass the baton to our new lead pastor. And so, uh, though they're not here today, some of them are, if you're a staff person and you're here, would you come on up here as well? If you're a staff person and you're here, I know many of you are all over the place, but if you're a staff person and you're here, will you please come on up? Because uh, uh, apart from these individuals, <clears throat> these, <laughs> these are the ones that, that have had to put up with me. And uh, let me tell you, it's been a joy to work with them. And uh, we've stretched and we've pulled and we've tugged, but good things have occurred. And to all of our staff people, thank you. Thank you for the partnership that we've been able to build with our leadership uh, for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then there's one other group that I want to uh, honor this morning, and that is the search team. And I don't know if many of the search team members are here. Some of them are already on the platform. But if you were part of the search team and you're not up here, would you please come on up? Because, again, we appreciate so much our search team that worked so hard uh, to bring our new lead pastor to us.
And uh, again, I cannot thank these individuals. They have, we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've had lots of fun together. But uh, apart from the leadership that you see on the stage and many that you do not see, uh, we would not be able to be here at this moment. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Tim, would you please come? This is the answer to prayer, our new pastor. <laughs> oh, my. You know, we, we, we've been waiting for almost 24 months for this moment. And I have talked to them about the moment when I would pass a baton to you. <laughs> And uh, this is a very special baton because on it, it has the names of all of the pastors who have served here at Liberty Bible Church, starting with Joseph Bauer in 1941, all the way up to the last pastor, Pastor Pipping, who served in 2017 to 2019. And we have your name, Tim. Tim Spanberg, 2021 for a long period of time. So I want to pass this baton to you. Praise Jesus. We are so excited. Yes. Thank God. We are thrilled that you're here. This, amen, this is a day that we've been praying for, we've been building toward, and my friend, I can say beyond any shadow of doubt, you have some momentum with you as you take us into a whole brand new season of ministry for the glory of God. We love you so much. Thanks for being sensitive to the voice of God and to the call of God. And we as a congregation and as a leadership team, we will be praying for you every single day. I'd like to have us all gather around Tim. Can we all gather around Tim? And we want to have a word of prayer for this dear brother as he begins this strategic ministry here at Liberty Bible Church for the glory of Jesus. Father in heaven, we come before you today with thanksgiving for your servant who you brought, he and his family, dear Misty and those four precious children. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. We're so thankful for the leadership of the church, the staff, the elders, the search team, many who have served tirelessly behind the scenes through some difficult days of COVID and all kinds of other things that uh, we've had to uh, seek to be responsive to by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we believe that under Pastor Tim's leadership that you are preparing Liberty Bible Church for a brand new season of fruitfulness and touching this community and the ends of the earth for the glory of Jesus. And so, Lord, we commend our brother to you Bless him, enlarge him, expand his capacities for you. May his integrity and humility and faithfulness and carefulness in handling your word be a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ here. 
We commit him and his family, the leadership, the staff to your uh, marvelous grace. And we're so thankful for the confidence that we can have, this very same confidence that the Apostle Paul had when he said, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will do it. Oh, God, do great things here at Liberty through Pastor Tim Spanberg. We'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Have a great day in Jesus. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.